0: Welcome to Hope Renewed, the podcast of PIR Ministries. Thanks for connecting to Hope Renewed, the in-depth podcast about pastoral renewal and restoration. I'm Tom Jameson, and along with co-host Sean Nemeczek, we explore the issues and challenges pastors face and help cultivate a renewed hope. For healthy ministry lives. From time to time here on Hope Renewed, we have the opportunity to sit down with pastors and talk with them about navigating the challenges of ministry from the viewpoint and experience of those who are serving on the front line in local churches. Uh, And we get to hear how they have found hope to sustain and strengthen them for the long haul. We call it Pastors Perspectives, and Sean, today we're able to do just that.
1: Yeah, we have a special guest. Uh, his name is Doug Smith. He's a pastor at McBain Baptist in North Central Michigan, and uh, he's been married for 30 years and has four kids. What I like about Doug is, is really how we met uh, Doug and I both went to a conference for small church pastors. Remember, we had Chris Vitarelli on this the show recently. Mm-hmm. Well, it was the very first conference that Chris put together. I sat down next to this bald guy because I'm a bald guy, <laughs> and bald guys connect with each other. We started talking, and we found out that uh, Doug was serving in a church Uh, about 20 minutes away from where I was serving, his church was almost exactly like mine in all the same struggles, same problems. We even had buildings that were similar. And uh, we hit it off immediately. And I've always enjoyed Doug's uh, just kind of infectious attitude and enjoy. Uh, and, and so, Doug, welcome uh, to the Hope Renewed podcast.
2: It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. I appreciate
0: it. Oh, I can't wait to get into this conversation, Doug. <laughs> I'm just getting to, to, to know you. Doug, if you would briefly tell us about how you became a pastor and your career as a
2: pastor, I probably have to go back to the summer of 1977. Uh, The the summer before my senior year in high school, uh, I was at a camp, uh, the same camp where I had gone where I became a Christian. Um, And it was that week where I really sensed that God was saying, ministry is where I want you to go. And so um, I enrolled at Liberty, what was Liberty Baptist College at the time, uh, on a baseball scholarship uh, with the intent of uh, pursuing ministry. So uh, I went to college, graduated four years later with a degree in uh, communications, uh, headed to seminary, uh, got my Master of Divinity at Grace, and then uh, couldn't find a job. Uh, So uh, I was uh, educated. Uh, I thought I was ready, uh, but uh, I was single. And at the time, there was a lot of churches, a lot of turmoil, if you remember uh, the late 80s was uh, Jim Baker and Jimmy Swaggert, and all of those situ- situations going on. And churches were looking for married guys. They felt like a single guy being in youth ministry was not going to be healthy uh, for either the pastor or for the kids. So I couldn't find a job. So I moved back to the Detroit area where I'm from and found a job uh, working at William Tyndale College. And then uh, a year later, uh, Had to find a new job, uh, found a job uh, teaching at a small, tiny little Christian school. I taught second through fifth graders uh, in that school at Novi Christian. And I met the kindergarten teacher and uh, knew that school was going to be different that year than it had ever been (laughs) in my life. (laughs) Um, And had a school year romance, Uh, married Jennifer, um, then went to Taylor University, worked there for three years. Uh, and then eventually from there, I've been in the church ministry ever since. Uh, but pastoring was always what I believed God's call was, mm-hmm. um, all the way back to the summer of 77. So that's kind of where it all began. And it's been an interesting road uh, along the way, as far as getting into full-time church ministry. Um, while in seminary, I did some part-time things, but uh, uh, it, it's it's been... It's, it's not the plan uh, that I thought uh, that I had created, that, that, mm-hmm. that I had in my mind. Uh, this is what's going to happen in my life. Uh, but it's been, it's been a great journey, and God has been faithful.
1: So, Doug, I remember you telling me a story about uh, being a pastor in a church, and uh, you were actually fired um, from that, that church. Am I correct in remembering that story?
2: Uh, sort of fired. It's kind of a weird story. I resigned. And then after my resignation, um, they asked me to stay and help them through some things because there was obviously some pretty significant turmoil. And so they wanted me to stay and help them deal with some of the stuff that had come to the surface because of me uh, Mm. and things that were going on. And so then I stayed for what I thought was going to be a few months. And after about a month, they then said, you need to go away. So I sort of resigned and was sort of fired. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> that's that's the way it happened.
1: One, one of the things we do at PIR Ministries is help uh, pastors who have experienced a forced exit, whether that's resigning because things are just not... Um, going to be sustainable here, or they're fired. Um, And I think your story could really be an encouragement to those. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that experience was like for you and and your family? Sure.
2: It was my first senior pastorate. I had been a youth pastor, again, part-time a couple times in seminary. And then I was uh, an associate pastor, primarily a youth pastor, full-time at a church over in Wisconsin. And then um, through a whole series of things, um, it was time for me to leave that church. Um, So I began looking for a full-time senior pastorate because that seemed to me like the next step for me professionally. I found this church on the west side of Michigan. Uh, It was a small church, but uh, as a new senior pastor, it seemed like that was where I should start. Uh, go to a small church. I was even told by a district executive minister, started a small church. And then after a couple of years, go to a bigger church. And after a couple of years, you know, climb that corporate ladder kind of mentality, Mm -hmm. which never sit right with me. That always seemed like that was not good advice, but I found this church. They were a church that had the same pastor for the last 18 years, and by all appearance, uh, he was a very good teacher of the word. Uh, when I came, I was actually surprised at how well theologically educated the church was. It was really a solid Bible-believing church and had very knowledgeable people in it. And I was excited about that. And their comment to me when I came, they had spent you know 18 years learning, but not doing. And they were looking for a pastor that would help them do instead of just sit and learn. Um, And that was music to my ears. That was kind of right up my alley. That's what I thought uh, my giftedness was. And so uh, I came, uh, moved to my wife and our four young kids uh, across the lake, and uh, we began ministry. And it appeared everything was great. I thought church work was about seeing more people come into your church, uh, more believers be uh, indoctrinated with the word of God, more unbelievers being challenged to consider Jesus. And uh, I saw a church of 100 explode to a church of 250. Uh, In the summertime, it's a tourist area. In the summertime, we'd have people standing outside the church with the windows open, Mm -hmm. uh, just to hear and be a part of the church. I thought things were great and all the new people thought everything was great. But what I didn't know, and part of it was because of my inexperience, um, I didn't know that the people that hundred, a big group of that hundred original members was not happy. And they saw what was happening as a destruction of their nice, comfortable gathering of family and friends uh, that they had on Sundays. And so uh, behind the scenes, um, all of these things were happening that I was completely unaware of. And finally, um, through a series of things, some of it my fault, some of it their fault, things kind of just came to a head. And there was a a confrontation. Um, And again, me being inexperienced and my personality tends towards stubbornness. um, I just felt I was right. I felt what was happening was right. I felt like if people aren't happy with the church growing, how could I be wrong with the idea that the church was growing? Um, And so I struggled with that. And as a result, there was a pretty good conflict. We brought in a guy to kind of help uh, maybe solve some of that problem. And in the midst of that solution or the attempt of solution, uh, he left that meeting with me and said, it's about control. They want it. You have it. And they want it back. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that was going to cause a pretty significant problem. So I spent a lot of time, uh, considering what to do, how to do it. Um, and finally, after about six additional months, maybe not quite that long, maybe four months, um, I realized that, uh, what it was doing to me personally, um, was just, it, it it was, it was getting unbearable. Um, so, um, I felt like for, the good of everybody it would be best for me to resign so i resigned and then they began to ask questions about uh, some of the problems that we had some of my frustration and i was encouraged by the possibility that maybe they were going to you know learn things and so one sunday morning the week before thanksgiving they announced that there was a special business meeting for all the members And they gathered together and said, we need Doug out of here immediately. And I I dealt with it okay. It it was hurtful, Mm -hmm. but it's not the first pain that I'd ever suffered in my life. What bothered me the most was the way they had treated my wife. Mm -hmm. My wife was in the nursery watching their children while they were in the other room firing me. And they asked her to stay late after church to take care of their kids so they could have a meeting to fire her husband. And that was after the night before we'd had a big Thanksgiving dinner for the church. And they were all hugging her and loving her. And they all knew. They all knew the next day they were going to get rid of us. It took my wife six months before she could go to church. It, It was enormously painful. Um, and you guys know if your wife is hurt, um, you carry that, that pain with you as well. Um, fortunately our children were really young still. Um, our son was nine, um, so nine, seven and six. So they have a little memory of that. And I'm grateful for that. Uh, I'm grateful that my kids didn't have to go through all of that. Our son has a hearing problem, and the school that he was at was really small, and they didn't really have the wherewithal to help him. We think because of his hearing issue, he's an incredible reader, and so when he went to first grade, he was actually reading on a fifth grade level, and they didn't know what to do with him. He had kids in his first grade class that were like learning the sounds of letters, and he's reading full 400-page books. And so they didn't know what to do with him. So they sat him out in the hallway, um, just put him in the hallway with a book. And we were like, that's really not a good thing. It feels like you're punishing him because he can read. My wife is a school teacher. So we decided at that point to homeschool. And that caused a huge problem. Um, The board accused me of violating the contract, which I didn't have. Um, They accused me of undermining... You know, my ministry in the town because I had to send my kids to the school and like I'm not sending my kids to the school when it's not good for my kids. Um, So there was a lot of those issues that came up. So when we left there, it was I was a beaten up uh, and frustrated uh, and hurt uh, man uh, and trying to carry the burden of uh, my wife and protect my children all at the same time. I didn't know what was going to happen next. Uh, I knew that we were in a parsonage and we had to get out of the parsonage. Uh, We had 30 days to to move. Um, So uh, I didn't know what I was doing, Uh, but uh, Mm. I had good friends. And one of the friends made the comment to me, you should go sell cars. You'd be good at that. So he had a friend who was the manager of a car dealership in Grand Rapids. And so uh, he called uh, Pat and said, I have a guy, do you need a salesman? And they were like, yep. So I went down and met with Pat and um, got hired to sell Fords and Kias and used cars and spent 15 months uh, selling cars and trying to heal at wow. the same time.
0: And you know, one of the images that, that has always been helpful for me in, in kind of grasping such a traumatic uh, event, because a pastoral exit, as, as you've described, um, is highly traumatic. Uh, and unfortunately, it's, it's not that unusual. Um, mm-hmm. uh, your story is absolutely unique to you and, and carries a, a bunch of personal um, pain in it. Uh, and yet, it, boy, this is not the first time we've heard a story like this
1: mm-hmm. uh,
0: or lived through a story like this. So, uh, one of the images that's always been helpful for me is likening this to a bomb going off, you know, an explosion. Suddenly, all of this happens, uh, and in the the very first moments, there's this surreal sense of what has just happened. You know, you've described um, oh my goodness, the pain of having them ask your wife to watch the children while you're. I I can't get my head around that quite yet. (laughs) So, so my question in this is, what did you find helpful in those initial moments to, to just survive the, the trauma of what has just happened?
2: Well, I, I think there was two things that really kind of impacted my life in a very unique and positive way. The first one was my wife's reaction to me. It was one of those moments where I for the first time in our married life, I understood how much my wife loves me mm-hmm. because she, she could have easily been on the other side and, and criticized or pointed out my faults and my weaknesses and my mistakes that I was well aware of because everybody else was doing that. Mm-hmm. And instead, she joined me and defended me. She stood on my side. Um, and so the, the whole reality of understanding and realizing, maybe to a, certainly to a new level, the depth of the love my wife had for me, that she was on my team. She was with me. No matter what happened, uh, we were going to be together. She was going to stay there. And, and that was a enormous benefit if Mm. she would have somehow abandoned or not even abandoned, if she would have been neutral, I'm not sure our marriage would have survived. Mm. But Mm. uh, the fact that she was uh, fully committed to me was, was, was enormous. The second thing was just the understanding in the midst of this event that I would wish upon no human being was the reality that the presence of God and his peace was unmistakable. There wasn't a question about whether or not I was doing the right thing. There wasn't a question about whether God was going to sustain us. God was going to provide for us. God was going to take us someplace, show us something. Um, I was just, I was convinced That at some point, God was still going to allow me to be in the ministry, helping people, preaching the word, and caring for people's souls. Hmm. Uh, Uh, So, those two things were by far the most significant uh, learning experiences. Up until then, you know, you know, God's there, you know, God's present, you know, God's with you, but it's often in those darkest moments where you discover. God is really there. Mm. It's it's not just something you say. It's not just something you you preach about. It's not something you tell other people. It's something that you actually experience. Mm. Um, And that has happened, you know, a few times in my life. So even though the pain was just amazing, the presence of God was greater
0: still. Mm. And the I'm going to use the term, the resiliency of you and your wife to choose to look at, at those two things. Uh, I, I'm sure the pain was was all consuming, but even in the midst of pain to lift your eyes, if I, I will, you know, to, to trust that, okay, God is present in all of this, as
2: opposed to just getting swallowed up and, and sucked down into all of that. And again, my personality kind of probably leans towards that. I'm more optimistic than I am pessimistic. So the, the the whole concept was I I was just convinced that God was still here that I, I needed God to to be here and when you seek for Him with your whole heart uh, you find Him as as bad as the situation was there was a couple of great things that came out of it
1: Doug I I just I'm I'm just amazed that you you first your willingness to share this story with us but uh, also just how God provided for you through that time, Uh, was that that time as a used car salesman or a car salesman, uh, was that healing space for you as well?
2: Uh, Initially, yes. Uh, I did it for about 15 months. And the first, probably the first eight months, it was nice to be able to just go to work, sit in my little cubicle, wait Mm. for somebody to walk into the lot, uh, and then rush out there and say, can I sell you a car? Uh, and so I learned a lot. Uh, I learned a lot about cars and I learned a whole lot about people. The only pressure I had was if I didn't sell a car, we didn't make any money. Mm. So, so the pressure was you had to sell a car. Fortunately, the business was good. Car sales were in a good place at that time, at least the beginning of that 15 months. Uh, so yeah, it was nice to be able to just go sell a car go home and not really have to worry about anything else. Hmm. Nobody was calling me at, you know, 1130 at night. Nobody was calling me at 430 in the morning. Um, I could just go home. Hmm. Um, So yeah, that part was good. But after, after probably eight months of that car industries took a turn, not a lot of people were buying cars. So when there's not a lot of customers sitting in a car dealership waiting for somebody to come is arguably the boringest thing on the planet. <laughs> um, I, I mean, you, I read the newspaper and I literally read the newspaper, mm-hmm. meaning I read the obituaries, the want ads, <laughs> who was selling things. I mean, you read the whole thing because there was nothing else to do. It was, it was difficult. And during that time, the, the pain had subsided Uh, My wife was kind of coming back. We found a good church, uh, which is a whole nother story. Uh, We went to a lot of bad churches, Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, we started going to Calvary. It's a huge church in Grand Rapids, you know, 4,000 people. And we started getting connected, starting getting plugged in. The car dealership took all the pressure off as far as caring for people. I just needed to sell a car and God was faithful. I made more money selling cars in a year than i had ever made uh, working in, in church ministry.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, there's, there's, there's hope uh, in the middle of, of those, those times of forced exit. God still works. He, he brings us through experiences that, that we didn't expect, but also brings healing. And I'm sure that that experience, the entire thing, has played into how, uh, how you pastor, how you minister to people, uh, probably for the rest of of your ministry. Uh, wh- what has surprised you about being a pastor, good or bad?
2: On, on the good side, I've, I've always been, and, and I don't know why this surprises me, because I was kind of raised in this family, but I've always been surprised at the dedication of people, mm-hmm. that they all show up week after week. They put money in the offering plate on work days, they show up, they are willing to help. Every church that I've been in since, and even that church that I had struggles with, if there was a a need, if there was a problem, if there was, you know, somebody needed food or winter clothing or something, uh, the generosity of people uh, maybe is, and it shouldn't surprise me, yet it's every church I go to, Every place I've ever been has been exactly the same, that the people are just enormously generous uh, to the people who have needs. Mm -hmm. So that part has been a surprise that it doesn't matter where I've been, the concern and the compassion that is often demonstrated by Christians is, is a beautiful thing to behold. The surprising thing is how many people are not regular attenders. I have never understood how people come to church occasionally. Mm. That has always been a surprise because growing up Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, missions conference, revival services, we were at all of them. And yet now, you know, every church that I've been, it's one week we'll have, you know, 70 people. The next week we'll have 52 people. Next week we'll have 97 people. And you're just like, why, where are you all the time? You know, Mm -hmm. to me, uh, church has always been such a significant part. My life has been built around going to church. Mm -hmm. On Sundays you go to church. That's just what you do. It's like Monday when you get up and go to work. So I think the, the surprising part is how irregular many people are and then on the other side, how regular other people are. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't you can't keep them out of church. Mm-hmm. Um, so that I, I'd say those are a couple of the big surprises when it comes to church ministry.
1: So, Doug, what are some of the challenges that uh, you faced as a pastor?
2: Most of my church been in uh, are small, so finances has always been one of those things both personal finance and church finance. We've always had to keep an eye on budget. We've always had to be careful with, you know, what can we spend? Can we put in the new carpet? If we do the new carpet, are we going to be able to sustain uh, our bill paying? Um, Will the money keep coming in? What if something Mm. happens? So there's always been those conversations where the finances have always been to some degree, a challenge. Uh, when I planted the church, uh, that was a big deal. You know, can we afford what do we what can we afford? How do we You know, maneuver our way through uh, the financial questions? And then the personal side of it was also true. We weren't making a lot of money. You know, I had four kids. They they were all athletes. They all needed, you know, the new bat, the new glove, uh, the new swimsuit. Um, So personal finance was always an issue. Could I save enough? Now that I'm getting older, uh, retirement is somewhere in that picture. But the question is, did I do enough? Could I have done enough? So um, finances were always a challenge. I think the other challenge, especially in today's world, is trying to allow grace for people, Mm. the people who don't show up every week, the people who occasionally come to church, but they, if you ask them, they would tell you, this is their church. Mm -hmm. They just don't come very often. So I've had to learn how to accept that not take it personal. And I've had to learn how to demonstrate grace and pastor them. Mm -hmm. Because some of those people who don't come very often suddenly have a medical issue and they need to pastor. Mm -hmm. Uh, A family member dies, they need to pastor. That was one of the things that I struggled most with when I was at the large church at, at Calvary. Uh, what I didn't tell you was after I had attended, attended there for a while, they eventually hired me as an associate pastor. Uh, and one of the things that I discovered there was as much as I thought the large church was kind of the pinnacle of ministry, like who doesn't want to pastor the big churches? Doesn't everybody pastor want to pastor big churches? I discovered that I was terrible at pastoring a large church because nobody knew who I was and I didn't know any of them. We had people that would call during the week. My wife's in the hospital. Nobody came to see me. And we're like, we had no idea who you were. We had no idea you were in the hospital. And I realized then that the large church, that's not what I wanted. That was not ministry for me. The other side, I had to figure out how do I minister to people who don't come to church every Sunday, who never give a dime to the ministry, who never show up for the workday, who never help in WANA, who never help with Sunday school, who never play an instrument, who never lead singing, who never take the offering, who never work the sound system. They just occasionally show up to church and they expect you to be their pastor. I think that has been one of the, the the great challenges: is how do you love minister, pastor, people who are not faithful attenders of your
1: church? Mm-hmm. So, you are just uh, an optimistic person, as you've you mentioned before. One of the things I've always enjoyed about being around you is is how much. Uh, just I can feed off of that optimism and, and the joy that you exude. How when you get discouraged because I know you do get discouraged, How do you find that uh, that new hope again to continue in ministry?
2: I have certain outlets, I think that help me. One of the things that I had I learned early was if I'm not sleeping enough, uh, it feeds the discouragement. Mm-hmm. If I find myself discouraged, disappointed, frustrated. My first thing I look at is always my sleep. Hmm. If, if I am not sleeping well, that is probably my single greatest trigger for frustration, uh, disappointment, anger, all those negative aspects of uh, people's personality of my, of my life. So that's the first thing. The second thing I look at is what am I doing that feeds my soul? And this is probably a lesson that I have learned and then forgotten and then have had to relearn on multiple occasions. What I have discovered in ministry is it's easy for me uh, to sit in my office, study, prepare a sermon, get up on Sunday, preach the sermon and feel good about the sermon and have people like the sermon and then walk away on Sunday afternoon going, this is, it's kind of a joke. I'm mm. just going through the motions. I'm, I'm doing my job. I'm not doing ministry. And one of the things that I found is when I get to that place, it's usually because I am working from an empty soul. Mm. So I have to figure out things that feed my soul. One of those things has been, you know, conferences where recently I have not gone to any. Being a baseball coach, Uh, The one conference that I really enjoyed was Basics, uh, Alistair Beggs Conference. Uh, I went there for a few years, but then it's in May. I started coaching the local high school team, so I couldn't go. Well, I didn't go to any of them. And what I found was I slowly was depleting any reserve that I had in my soul. So I have had to learn how to feed my soul. So Uh, I started exercising this summer, started walking. There was an alternative interior motive to the exercise. My daughter was getting married and she told me I had to be able to button my suit coat when I walked her down the (laughs) aisle. Uh, So I was like, okay, I didn't know that was a rule, but okay. Um, And so I had a friend say, you know, there's an easier way to uh, do that than exercise and lose weight. And that was just by a bigger coat. But I was like, <laughs> nope, uh, I, I'm committed to this. And so uh, I started listening to uh, music, Christian music, uh, as I walked. Uh, and as I was, I, I'd ride a bike, a stationary bike. And, and I would go for walks, you know, four to eight to 10 miles sometimes. I started listening to, to Alistair Begg, Truth For Life. And so that began to, again, feed my soul. Mm-hmm. Um, so now if I sleep right, if I'm nourishing my personal spiritual life, then I find that when things don't go quite as the way I hoped, I can still be very positive and mm-hmm. be upbeat because I I feel good about me, because God and I are in a good place together. That's really helpful.
1: So if if you could uh could go back to a time of deep pain uh, or discouragement in your ministry. What encouragement would you offer to your younger self?
2: I saw this question when you sent it to me, and I read it a few times, and, and I think to myself, uh, "Become a teacher."
0: Run for run.
2: I think what I would tell my younger self is, "You can. You'll get to the other side." Mm-hmm if you just stay focused on the right things. And for me, in the midst of my deepest hurt, the right things were get up, go to work, pay your bills, love your wife, play with your children, go to church, and, and worship. The, those, were, those were the things that I had to do. Uh, and, and I think part of that was part of that was just built into me from my, my, my parents. Hmm. Part of your job was get up, go to work, get a job, make money, pay your bills. There was never the allowance for, well, you're not feeling very well. Things aren't going well. Why don't you take, just, just sit at home. That, that was never a permittable idea in my family. So it was kind of ingrained in me. So I knew that even when my dream, my world, what I thought was good and right was destroyed, I went back to get up, go to work, pay your bills, love your wife, play with your kids, go to church. So I think I would go back to my younger self and say, You're going to get through this. And at the other side of this, you're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Your family's going to be okay. Your wife is going to be okay. God, God is still has opportunity. God still has plan. God still has purpose. So just get up, go to work, make money, pay your bills, love your wife, play with your kids, go to church. Because in the end, God still got purpose.
0: Boy, I just, I find such encouragement in that, Doug. Um, I'm thinking through, you know, PIR, we we have this conviction that, that when a pastor faces a, a traumatic um, exit, such as you did, that the thing to do is not what oftentimes pastors feel they need to do, which is, well, I just need to get back into a ministry position. I just need to forget that happened and, and just go into the next thing without recognizing that, that, no, God has this time, this unique time to, to do some soul work, to do some care uh, that, that couldn't normally be done. And so, you know, you talked about uh, making space, taking time, keeping connected, persevering in what I'm going to call the fundamentals, you know, those important things, get up, get yeah. out of bed, go to work, make money, and, and how uh, I think oftentimes um, facing a traumatic event and, and then wondering how am I going to get through this, uh, pastors lose sight of that. And uh, so our conviction of, of having this space and time such as you had, even though it wasn't formalized, you still allowed that space and time for God to do his healing work in you um, by making yourself available, but also keeping your, yourself connected to him, to, to the hope, as you just said, that uh, God's at work, things are going to get better. There is hope and uh, uh persevere in the things you know to do and allow God to do the work that he's doing uh, in your heart and life. I just that that's really encouraging for me
1: to mm. hear. So Doug uh we had a couple more questions. You've actually answered one of them already for us, so thanks for that. Uh but let's just let's just end on a high note here with our our conversation. What do you love about being a pastor?
2: Wow, it, it's hard to to narrow it down, but I I, I would say Probably the thing that has energized me the most through ministry is when people come up to you and say, you know, I never thought of that before. That really makes me think I get that now. I, I, I understand that better now. So the idea that somehow in my ability to communicate the word of God, as flawed as that is, they still they still learn and they can take something and apply it and use it in their life. And to me, that is the, probably the most powerful lesson that I have ever learned. And the most encouraging part of ministry is my job is to be faithful to the word of God. It's God's job to be faithful to applying it and changing the hearts of people. So when I can see God do things in people's lives, when I can see the light go on in people's lives and they understand it and they apply it and it truly affects the way they live, that's the best part of pastoring. Is when you see your weakness, the frailty of your humanness, God use that to change somebody's life. Um, that's the best part. Mm-hmm. Other parts are great, uh, but that's that's the best part.
1: Wow. Thank you. I, I so resonate with that. Seeing those light bulbs go off and lives change, There's, there's really nothing better. And the the privilege that we get to be a part of that uh, is, is so amazing. Doug, I just want to thank you for your time with us today. Uh, it's been fun to see you again, Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's even more fun just to hear how, how your, uh, relationship with God and your faith in God and in Jennifer's faith in God has sustained you through years of ministry and I'm sure that's just going to be an encouragement to the pastors who listen to this. So thank mm. you so much.
0: Yeah, Doug, thank you. Well, thank you for having
2: me. I appreciate it.
0: And as always, we invite you our listeners to rate and review Hope Renewed in iTunes or your favorite podcast app and to share this podcast with your friends on social media. It's a great way to help us continue to bring hope to others thanks for joining us today. It's our prayer that the hope which is ours in Jesus Christ is an anchor for your soul. PIR Ministries partners with God and the church in the work of pastoral renewal and restoration to cultivate new hope for healthy ministry lives. You can learn more about us at our webpage, pirministries.org, or email us at info at pirministries.org. Thanks for joining us for Hope Renewed. And remember, the hope Christ offers will never put us to shame.